Hey guys, it's a special edition of the DogCast, another Dr. SEC edition, live from Memphis Radio. We did a wrap-up show of the spring practices, especially with the G-Day game. Everything you need to know about that game. I know it's been a little bit, but hey, you probably still want to know what we thought about it. back to the show, Derek. Oh, thanks, Peter. It's good to be here, man. Hey, we're always glad to have you on the show, and of course, always love to get your insight on the University of Georgia, and of course, we're just recently coming off the G-Day game, and of course, expectations are pretty high going into the game, and I think a lot of times that G-Day game can really be a letdown, because I mean, you look at the defense, for example, a lot of people want to see what we're going to see on defense. Well, they've really only had a few weeks to work with them, and they're going to be very, very vanilla, and you look at all the different things, really sometimes these spring games can kind of be overhyped, can't they? Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, new uh, defense coordinator Jeremy Pruitt came out and said that, you know, he didn't even want to have the fans looking at it in terms of depth chart and things like that. It was purely player evaluation because, like you said, I mean, you're talking about they've had two, I mean, you know, two weeks to get to know the players. Uh, the new defensive coaches, we have a new staff on defensive side of the ball. Man, they still got tape on helmets trying to learn names, you know, much less trying to install scheme and things. But, um even with that, you know, there was some pretty impressive performances out of, uh, I mean, you know, just what we could see. Uh, things like defensive line, Ray Drew and, uh, you know, looked really good on defensive line. Leonard Floyd, you know, kind of doing his new thing where he doesn't really do any pass coverage. Pruitt has told him that uh, going forward, his his only concern is the quarterback, which I think is really liberating for a kid like Leonard Floyd, you know. Absolutely. He only needs to go after the quarterback every play. You know, I mean, I, I would coming off of last year, Todd Grantham's scheme where you had the mysterious towel and the hand wavings and the, <laughs> the NFL schemes telling a kid you've got one job to do. Get the quarterback every play. That's got to be liberating and, uh, you know, really, really a lot of fun for Leonard Floyd. You know, you talked about a couple of guys I'm going to talk about right there. And, of course, uh, we just talked about Leonard Floyd, you know, and his ability. You know, he really has what it to be. He can become an absolute elite pass rusher. And if Jeremy Pruitt has got him where that's his only concern, this guy could have a historic season rushing the quarterback. Oh, no doubt. I mean, you're talking about a program, even though we have all new defensive coaches, you're talking about, uh, you know, just in the recent history, guys like Justin Houston yeah. and guys like Jarvis Jones, you know, we, we're we set to have a really great pass rush. And Leonard Floyd, you know, people are kicking around terms like best player on the team. Yeah. You're talking about a team that includes number three on the other side of the ball. <laughs> the fact that they're even kicking around the concept that Leonard Floyd might be the best player on the team gives you some idea of how good this kid could be this fall absolutely another guy you mentioned was Ray Drew and I've got to tell you I, I said this a while back I really believe Ray Drew is going to have a great season and I believe he can be an example 
of the difference in when you rate these guys as a five-star. I believe he deserved a five-star coming out of high school, but he was a guy that took a little bit longer to develop. But I believe that this year he's going to play like a five-star athlete that everybody thought he could be. No doubt. I mean, the kid has had some trouble. You know, he's kind of underwhelmed so far in terms of performance on the field. But I think the simplification of what Pruitt is bringing to the table defensively, combined with the experience and the maturity of Drew getting better every year, he's been in the program, if he could be turned loose in sort of the way that uh, Coach Pruitt has talked about turning Leonard Floyd loose, I think you're right. I mean, clearly the stage is set for Ray Drew to have his best season ever as a Bulldog. Absolutely. And, of course, you know, I remember him coming out of high school. I remember the the whole David Pollock meeting with him. But we've seen flashes of greatness from Ray Drew. I, I think about Tennessee game, different times we've seen flashes. But I really believe that he is going to be a guy that's going to be all SEC next year. I believe – he is going to be a dominant football player when it comes to next season. He's definitely got the skill set. And when he's moving at full speed, he's darn near untouchable. Yeah. You know, he's just got to, he just needs to get a better grasp on what he's doing. And that's why I think the, the Pruitt simplification is going yeah. to be a, a real awakening for Ray Drew this year. Absolutely. Of course, you talked about last year, you talked about Todd Grantham and you talked about how he tried to make everything look like an NFL type system. You know, to me, what it appeared, I don't know what your opinion is, Derek, but it always appeared to me that he was looking for a job interview for the NFL. He wanted people to look at him and say, look how he runs it like an NFL. And it really just never fit what Georgia needed to do. Now, I still think it was better than the Willie Martinez years. I mean, that's about as bad as it gets. But he, he simply looked like he was always applying for an NFL job to me. Well, you know, uh, yeah, you're, you're kind of right about that. And I'll tell you something else. I think when we brought him in, you know, the thought process behind that whole deal was, well, it'll be good for recruiting because here's a proven NFL coach. And, you know, maybe because we were doing so well recruiting off on the offensive side of the ball with Coach Rick's history as a quarterback and what we were doing, guys being number one overall draft picks, quarterbacks and things like that. They wanted to kind of, they the thought process was – Having a genuine NFL-style coach setting up these defensive players for the NFL would be good for recruiting and also good for our kids when they went to the draft. And everybody was excited about that NFL experience until we saw it up close and personal. And uh, now everybody's really excited to get back to a more simple, you know, yeah. we're, 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 it, we're now similarly excited to get rid of that idea and move back to a more, sim- a more simple kind of defense. I mean, it's a great idea, but if the kids are making the plays and not, not in position to make tackles and not making the tackle when they are in position, all the scheming and X's nose in the world ain't going to save you from a 35-point uh Auburn offensive day against you. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Now, looking at the, you know, one thing I did like about Todd Grantham, and I think he kind of took it to extreme, but I thought that with Mark Rick's personality, you really needed a guy that kind of mixed with him. There's nothing wrong with having a calm CEO type personality, but you've got to have that guy in the staff that, that people truly fear, you know, and I thought Todd sure. Grantham really brought that earlier. It seemed like he did it so much. The players kind of became mute to him at some point. And you look at this new coaching staff and everything I'm hearing is Jeremy Pruitt's kind of a good mix of that. But Kevin Chair is one of the guys that will really get in your face and really keep them in line as well. 
I tell you, they, I, I agree. And I'll tell you something else has kind of surprised me and surprised a lot of people about this coaching staff, not just in their demeanor, but in their public, their public statements about the defense. That's probably been the biggest surprise for me going into the G-Day game and especially coming out of the G-Day game. You know, these kids, you know, a lot of coaches talk about how it's always a competition. We want everybody to be uh, fighting to get on the on the field and things like that. And I'm telling you, Pruitt and these guys like Mike Eckler, the you know, they are serious. I mean, you talk to Pruitt after the game, and he's like, didn't see much. Not very <laughs> impressed. Everybody's overweight. Nobody's making tackles, and he's n- not saying it. In a, in a snarky kind of uh, put-down sort of way, he's saying it what seems like really genuinely. He was very serious about making sure that everybody knew that Amarlo Herrera and Rameek Wilson are not starters. They are not starters. I mean, the way he's coming across as businesslike and, hey – I'm not impressed. He is continually not impressed. Not impressed by their conditioning, not impressed by their tackling, not impressed about anything. You know, they seem to be going one step further on the uh, on the downplaying expectations both inside and outside the program. And I think I'm I'm I think it's kind of refreshing to to see a whole lot less smoke being blown and a whole lot more you know, you're going to have to play to be on the field for Georgia this year. Absolutely. You know, probably my favorite quote that he had that I've seen, I'm summarizing a little bit, but they talked about the spring defensive awards, and he said, I really didn't think anybody deserved an yeah. award. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I think it's that, and, and I know so many people want to model after that Saban-type model, you know, that, that kind of – but I really like the way that he brings it to the table that there is not going to be – that sense of entitlement and that sense of contentment that has really haunted Georgia for several years now. No doubt. I mean, one of the hallmarks, uh, you talk to these people that are, that uh, are, are, let's just say, uh, not huge fans of Coach Rick. You know, he is really super loyal, yeah. you know, and uh, if you've been around, you're going to play, you know, whether even, uh, and a lot of people say, maybe even if you're not the best player at that position, you know, seniority really matters for a guy like Coach Rick. And uh, for Coach Pruitt, it does not seem to be the case that seniority, yeah. he really seems to want to put the best players on the field, and he wants everybody working to get on the the field at all times and man I'm refreshed by it let's move back to that linebacker position now and we talked about this before and I've got to say if there's a better four and we don't even know if these guys are going to be starters but if <laughs> yeah. there's if there's a better four than Jordan Jenkins Leonard Floyd and Marlo Herrera and Ray McWilson I don't know who they are I mean those four guys have the potential to be an absolute terror at the linebacker position what was your kind of take on them this spring well, you know, uh, you're right. Herrera and Wilson, I mean, they're fantastic. Led the league in tackles last year. Um, I think if we could clean up their fundamentals, I agree. I think they're the best linebacking core in the country. Um, Marlo Herrera was blitzing a lot uh, in the G-Day game, and that, that looked really good. He, You know, he got a sack out of it. Yeah. Um, we're not going to be – it looks like we're not going to be asking a lot of them uh, from the pass coverage thing which I think is great, but um, I think the pass care, I think what we're doing with the linebackers is a good idea. I mean, I I love what they, I love what I saw in the Jita game. 
Absolutely, and I, I really think that they're going to do a great job of putting those guys at their strengths. And I think you're going to see, you know, like we talked about with, with Jordan Jenkins and we talked about with Leonard Floyd, we're going to see those guys kind of getting after that quarterback. And it's going to really help that secondary. I don't have a whole lot of time to sit back there and pick them apart. That's the key. He played on the defense, even though it was a vanilla scheme, he really likes to stack the line. And that puts a lot of pressure on that front seven, But and it, it puts pressure on the defensive backs as well. But if it works, like you said, if it works, then you contain the running backs, you pressure the quarterback. It makes life, ultimately makes life easier for those defensive backs. And uh, he's really stacking the line, man. Well, let, let's talk about those defensive backs. Let's talk about that secondary. Of course, it is the question mark for George in a lot of ways going into next season. And we're talking about guys. I had Hannah Chalker on the show uh, last week, and we talked about the secondary. And one guy she said that kind of impressed her was somebody that I know has not been the biggest fan favorite on the doll cast, and that is Shaq Wiggins. Uh, but watching him up against Michael Bennett, watching a little film on him, it looks like at least from – uh, the little bit of time Pruitt's been working with him, there is some improvement there. I do think there's some improvement. He did show, I mean, you know, I, w I saw the G-Day game as well, and there were a lot of Shaq Wiggins moments, uh, you know, fodder for the dog cast. But, um, you know, he did get smoked a couple of times. I mean, he, you know, he still gets burned, but... As you said, to be fair, I do think the kid is getting better. I, I think he's getting a little more engagement. He's playing a little closer, a little tighter, being a little more physical. And I think, I'm hoping at least, I mean, like I said, I don't wish the kid ill. I want him to be all SEC, you know? So um, I'm hoping that that arc of improvement will continue and um, he'll get better. Um, other guys, you know, we didn't see Trey Matthews or J.J. Green um, because of injuries or whatever, but you saw some new faces out there. Uh, Aaron Davis playing really good. Corey Moore playing really good. Um, you know, and then you got Pruitt talking about Damian Swan, who is the really the only, one, some of the best experience we've got, and yeah. all Pruitt can say about him is he's a little chubby. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. It's, I, I love where Pruitt's head's at, and I think these kids are going to keep getting better going into the fall. And they need that challenge, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that for the Georgia fan base as well. Now, uh, they call him Trigger Trey Matthews. Of course, I, I think at this point they may, they may need to change it to Twitter Trey Matthews because he's constantly yeah. saying something or doing something on Twitter to cause an uproar. But mm -hmm. this is a guy, I mean, is there still, I mean, do we have any idea how long he's going to be out? No, you know, Coach Rick's playing that really close to the vest. Um, you know, I mean, the speculations is one, one to four games. I mean, nobody knows. You know, I mean, we really don't know. And I don't think we're going to know until the week we're preparing for Clemson, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I do just is, you know, I really wish Trey Matthews would slow down on the Twitter. I really do. Because yeah. I tell you, the stuff I read out of him on Twitter, I just, I just, you know, I'm shaking my head, man. I'm telling you. But um, I hope he gets his head right. I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried that Trey Matthews is having, um, you know, sometimes you see stuff, Peter, and you have to kind of read between the lines. And um, I, I just, I'm not liking the stuff I'm seeing out of Trey Matthews with his attitude yeah. and the injuries. You see what Coach Rick talked about with the hamstrings and things like that. And Coach Rick putting it on Trey Matthews himself, saying, you know, some of this kind of. I mean, I'm paraphrasing the quote here, but he basically said at some point, 
Trey is going to have to take a little ownership of this problem with his hamstring and how he's doing on the field. When you put that on top of the whole check gate that we had earlier, um, and then you factor in the kind of things that Trey says on um, on Twitter, man, I'm I'm really worried that his future is maybe not super bright with the dogs, and that's just me being kind of politically correct, you know? I'm right there with you. I think old Trigger Twitter slash Trey Matthews might become transfer Trey Matthews if they don't, uh, if something doesn't happen with him real quick, which really is a shame. I mean, you've already lost one guy in Josh Harvey Clemens who had all the talent in the world, but, you know, it's like the old saying, can't get right. No matter no matter how much you try to, try to help, no matter what you try to do, and I know Rick takes fall for that. I know a lot of people get bad publicity for that. But in the end, sometimes people, these kids just won't do right. Yeah, I mean, you look at kids like Isaiah Crowell, man, had all the talent in the world. Guys like Washon Ely, Isaiah Crowell, like you said, JHC gone up to Louisville. Um, I'm really worried that Trey Matthews is on that same path. And I I don't want it to be that way. I I know the kid can ball. I know he can play. I I just wanted to get his head right, man, and I, I don't know if he's got his head right. Now, let's talk about a, another couple guys you mentioned and possibly being in that secondary. One's uh, Tramel T- Terry, and, and, and another we talked about was J.J. Uh, Green, a guy that has moved over from that running back position. want to get what your feeling is on those two guys. Well, you know, J.J. Green going to be playing this new what they call the star position, yeah. which as far as I can tell, he's exclusively devoted to the wheel route, I think, which I think is fantastic. Maybe we can get somebody to cover the wheel route. <laughs> Terry, you know, in contrast to the way Trey Matthews is, uh, Tremel Terry, you know, player of the year out of South Carolina as a high school kid, blew his ACL out in the, in the you know, the senior bowl, and um, – has had nothing but, you know, has had a really humble attitude, has has really, you know, talked himself down. And I think he looked better than he says he feels, you know what I mean? Which I think is a positive, a positive way, a positive place to be. Um, I think Terry looked really good out there in coverage, real physical and real fast. I mean, the guy is a out-of-the-stadium athlete, and um, he's had plenty of time to get healed up, and I'm expecting good things out of both J.J. Green on defense and Terry on defense. Now, looking at Terry, of course, he you know, moved over there, hadn't had any actual playing time because of the ACL, ACL injury, like you said. But looking at J.J. Green, he actually is going to buck the trend that I have for the Bulldogs, and that is this. I believe they might be the worst team in the SEC of constantly moving players and switching positions. You know, you think about guys like Richard Samuel. He's going to be a running back. He's going to be a linebacker. He's going to be a running back, fullback. Sure. Uh, and, and I see every year these guys, they move over and say, okay, this is a better position for them, and we never hear from those guys again. But in this instance with J.J. Green, I really love this move because I think he has such a physical nature. He has such a physical presence when he runs the ball. I think that's going to translate to a pretty good defensive player as well. I, in, in general, I agree with you. I mean, you look at what they did with Malcolm Mitchell, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, Richard Samuel, we were moving players around all the time. And it, like you said, kids are so specialized these days. You, it's really hard to be a top-flight running back and a top-flight defensive back. and expect It's hard, it's hard to expect to be successful yeah. moving around like that with as complicated as the schemes are these days. But – like you said, like 
going from Grantham through it, the defense becoming more simple, the coaching becoming more simple, turning kids loose and letting them be players. Um, I think JJ Green is completely comfortable. He was he was really good carrying the ball, but like you said, he's real physical, not afraid to hit people. I think he understands what's going on, and uh, he's kind of in a specialty position. I think this star job is going to be a good deal for him, just like you said. Absolutely. You know, we used to watch you talk about Malcolm Mitchell, and absolutely Malcolm Mitchell had the skill set to be a great defensive back. I believe he was number one defensive back rated by rivals coming out of high school. Sure. But, but once you moved him to the wide receiver, and then you try to move him back, he always seemed like when he was there, he did make some good plays because he's such a great athlete, but he almost was like whiffing on tackles, like he was dodging the contact at times. And I don't think we're going to see that out of J.J. Green. No way. He's not going to dodge contact for sure. J.J. Green's not worried about getting hurt. Yeah. I mean, I coach Little League football, and I've seen kids tackle like Malcolm Mitchell, you know, that kind of run up beside yeah. him. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's – and I, I'm not even saying it's a mental thing, but Mal, let's face it, Malcolm Mitchell's had a lot of injury problems. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not playing with reckless abandon out there, sacrificing the body kind of thing, you know. He's protecting his body, and uh, that's not a great mindset for a defense back. Well, if he's protecting his body now, I would hate to see what he looks like if he wasn't <laughs> yeah, protecting his body. Yeah, yeah but, good point there. But, but let's look at this defense. Anybody else kind of stand out to you during the spring or the spring game? Um, you know, I would say not – I mean, I like a lot out of Leonard Floyd and Ray Drew. Yeah. I think those guys are at the top of the food chain on defense. Um, you know, we did see some – we saw a couple guys on the defensive line that looked pretty good. But, um, I mean, probably the guy that stood out was uh, this kid Aaron Davis. Um, really good coverage came out of nowhere, you know what I mean? And, uh, but he's got good coverage skills, really good tackling mechanics. He's got really good size. And, um, I think Aaron Davis is going to contribute on defense. I think he's going to be on the field some this fall as a defender. Absolutely. Now let's move over to the offense. And of course there were a lot of skill players that were out. One of those guys that was not out was the quarterback Hudson Mason. What was your impression of him this spring? Oh, you know, um, I really liked what he did in the G-Day game. I'll tell you, the biggest thing out of that quarterback deal was is the gap, really. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about it. The gap between Hudson Mason and uh, everyone else is really, really a big gap. Um, you know, Bob and everybody talked a lot about having trying to have Bryce Ramsey and uh, Fatan Balta push him, and th they are not pushing him. Mason is running this thing, and uh, the big toy to me out of the day game is we really need Hudson Mason to be healthy all season, you know? <laughs> it it's funny you say that because I just came out with an article and we listed the top five players that, that really could not get hurt this year, and Hudson Mason was number one. I mean, Absolutely. You're, you're, you're looking at a team that could go from legitimate national championship contender to an absolute disaster if Hudson Mason gets hurt. And that's got to really – I mean, I, I like some of the potential out of Ramsey and, and Patan as we talked about, but, man, next year looks kind of scary at that quarterback position. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, at this point, I mean, I like those kids, too. And Ramsey's been around. He's got the arm strength. But, you know, his mechanics and his head are not 100% there. Uh, Faton is really good running the ball, but not that great as a thrower. Um Jacob Park, I think, is going to be the future for us at quarterback right now. Of what we have to choose from right now on the roster, I think it's going to be Jacob Parks. Uh, to, I think it's going to be Jacob Parks to lose. I think next year's GD game is going to be uh, interesting. 
And, and you've got to, you know, I know we've got to kind of have faith in Mark Rick at this point. I mean, the guys that he's produced, David Green, DJ Shockley, Matthew Stafford, um, you know, Aaron Murray, thrown in with a little bit of Joe Cox right there, and we'll forgive him for that. But hey. uh, but looking forward, you kind of got to think it's going to be good, but something's got to happen because if an injury has right now, none of those guys to me look like they're ready to lead this team right now. No way. We'll be leaning on the three. It'll be really if, – if Hudson Mason went down, you know, the good news is we have a ridiculous depth at running back. Absolutely. I mean, between Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall coming back, A.J. Turman, Brendan Douglas, I mean, hell, if we have to sub running backs every play and just run the ball 60 times a game, I guess we could do it if we had to, you know. Um, so there are some bright spots there, but now I'm not looking forward to Hudson Mason getting hurt. I can tell you that for sure. Absolutely. You know, the most impressive thing about Hudson Mason to me – was the simple fact that they said he didn't throw an interception in any of right. the scrimmages. I mean, that's something, if he could protect the football, and I absolutely love him when they hurry up the offense. When they start just moving, uh, you know, getting that kind of hurry-up mode, he really looks extremely talented in that role. That's his thing, man. I mean, he's a timing guy, you know, and he really likes that quicker pace. And we talked about the last time you had me on the show. I think Bobo having a little more time to prepare now and the offensive line and everybody, everybody's on the same page. They know what it takes to make cuts and Mason go. And, um, I think, I think we're all going to be able to take advantage of that increased quickened pace that Hudson Mason likes his timing, his throwing, not just the timing of the delivery, but the accuracy, everything gets better when Mason picks up the speed. Absolutely. We're talking to Derek Leonard of the Dogcast. I guess we could call the Dogcast the official, unofficial <laughs> uh, podcast of the Georgia Bulldogs, the very best out there. Now, looking at this offensive line, um, they're losing a little bit. They got some coming back. What was your impression of them? <laughs> man, I, do we really do we? Let, can we <laughs> let's talk about running backs, man. I mean, I'll tell you, running backs, you know, no, I'll tell you, offensive line, man, you know, it's um, it has been something to worry about, you know, um, it's really without a doubt the biggest question mark on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. And we've got some new names coming out there. And uh, you can tell that Coach Friend is really trying to figure out who the five are going to be. Um, we know David Andrews is going to start, you know. And we're pretty sure that John Theus is going to start. I'll tell you, my takeaway was John Theus was a lot better uh, at left tackle than um, – he looked a lot more comfortable. He looks bigger. He looks quicker. And uh, he was pretty much the only guy who was able to consistently handle Leonard Floyd in the spring game. Um, so I was real happy with Theus. Um, Mark Beard playing a little bit. And, you know, I'm glad that Mark Beard's still with the team. Yeah. I have really hopes for Beard. I have high hopes for Houston. I mean, there's some – There's we've got some quality guys there. But – They've really got to put it together. I mean, they, they've got to put it together, and they've got to see health. Um, hoping that Friend will get to gel this line out and get the starting five dr dialed in. And, um, I mean, I'm just I'm, – I'm caustic, I guess. I'm more optimistic after G than I was before, but it's still up in their kind of thing, man. Now, let me ask you, and, you, and nobody covers Georgia as much as you do. And let me just ask you because it's just really, really strange to me that this always seems the case. Why does it always seem with Georgia – there never is a line that's in place. It's always, we're going to move this guy, we're going to move that guy. There never seems to be any stability among that offensive line year in and year out. Well, you know, I mean, 
going all the way back to Neil Calloway, we've always had, I mean, we've had injuries, we've had suspensions and things like that. Um, when we had a good friend of mine, Stacy Searles was the offensive line coach, yeah. and Stacy Searles is a fantastic offensive line coach. And even he just, you know, really struggled to get a really solid five. I got to be honest with you. I don't know the answer. That's a great question, and I can't tell you why we can't have one guy who's left tackle, one guy who's a guard, one guy who's the center. Yeah. You know, since we since the I mean, last real solid line we had was back in the days when we had Ben Jones and yeah. uh, when we had uh, you know, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't know why we can't nail down those positions better. It, it, I mean, it really seems to me, though, that's really been an issue over the years. And maybe I, it seems exaggerated in my mind, but it seems every year that you go in and you think, okay, maybe this is there's only one or two spots. And before you know it, everybody's played everywhere. Hey, look, we had four different kids that played left guard in the G-Day game, okay? <laughs> four different guys, man. It's, I mean, it's clear that Coach Friend is just – He's trying things, and even though Colton Houston probably has the inside line on that left guard, you know nobody's not even Houston. Even though he's added weight, and you know he's getting more up to playing speed, Houston hasn't been able to nail down that spot yet. I, I tell you, I wish I knew why we. And I bet you, Coach Friend wishes he had five guys that were <laughs> bolted down, but they are just not there yet. Now, Coach Friend's been there for a little bit. What has your been your take on that? Do you think that Georgia's better by having Coach Friend there? Mm, well, <laughs> in full disclosure, I have to tell you, you know, I was, a, I mean, obviously, Stacey Searle's a personal friend of mine. I've known him for 30 years. And uh, I was a huge fan of Coach Searle's. And, um, you know, I, I can't say that I think Will Friend is an upgrade, but – I think he's serviceable. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, I can't think of anybody. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I, I, the jury's out for me. I, I don't know. I I might not be the best guy to answer that question. You know. <laughs> well, we won't hold we won't hold you to that one question. But I do want to move to wide receiver because this is a place that Georgia, when healthy, should be as good as I can ever remember them being. And of course, a big question mark is Malcolm Mitchell. I mean, is this guy ever going to play football again? Honestly, at this point in his career, I look at Malcolm Mitchell as, as gravy. I'd love to have him. I mean, I think if you're Tony Ball, you're thinking, hey, it'd be great if he's back. But from one week to the next, I'm I'm just not depending on him. I mean, we can't depend on him at this point. We have to go forward with guys that are a little more reliable. And um, even though he did have the big ACL problem, you know, my, Michael Bennett and Chris yeah. Conley are the stuff. And Reggie Davis, now that he's fully committed to receiver, he's gotten a lot bigger, gotten a lot stronger, playing a lot more physical as a downfield blocker. Um, he looks good. Uh, also, you know, the uh, John, we're still I, – yeah. I'm really excited about Jonathan Rumpf. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's got his skill set. He's huge. He's got the wingspan. He's got – all the tools, you know, he did have some really bad drops in the G-Day game, but he also had some really great catches. Yeah. Um, I think he could be a really good third or fourth guy. 
Yeah, he, he doesn't play a whole lot, but when he plays, he does really well. And, sure. Uh, you know, I, coming out, of course, physically, he reminded you a lot of Marlon Brown. And, of course, Marlon, while he was at Georgia, had the came, same kind of situation, some kind of little injury was always going on. Of course, thankfully for Marlon, he's been able to turn that up in the pros so far. But Jonathan Rump and another guy that I'm waiting to see how he's recovering and want to know if you've heard anything about him is Justin Scott Wesley. There's a home run threat. Absolutely. Justin Scott Wesley's fantastic. And, you know, the word is, is that he is getting better. He is getting healthy, but he may not be available at the beginning of the season. And that that's a little disappointing for me. And I know disappointing for all Georgia fans. And I think he's trying to get ready. I mean, obviously, I know the kid wants to play. Uh, Justin Scott Wesley's a good kid. He's got a good heart and he's got a really good head on his shoulders. And I'm hoping that he'll at least be back by maybe week three is what I'm hoping. Now, I absolutely love Chris Conley and Michael Bennett. And, of course, Jonathan Rupp has that same potential. But those guys aren't the ones that are – I mean, I love Michael Bennett coming across the middle and taking it 60 yards. But I really think they need Malcolm Mitchell or Justin Scott Wesley, one, to be able to be out there for significant plays to really stretch that defense. No doubt. I mean, Bennett and Conley are the kind of guys that if the ball is – if you can – if the if he if Michael Bennett can touch yeah. the ball, he's going to catch Absolutely. it. Same thing with Chris Conley. Now Reggie Davis does have yeah, yeah. some of that. Um, he's the kind of guy you're talking about, you know. But if he's the only guy we got on the field like that, it makes it a little more transparent and a little easier to cover. We do need a guy like uh, Malcolm Mitchell. We need some of that super fast speed on the edge to spread the defense and keep those defensive backs, especially the safeties honest and that's not Bennett and Conley's thing they're more old school possession type receivers but um like I said I'm just any I'm just hoping something out of Malcolm Mitchell you know and then Reggie Davis continues to contribute and Jonathan Rump is also pretty fat high too absolutely now looking at the position it's a lot easier to kind of differentiate between when they're healthy and that is the running back position you're talking about of course Todd Gurley the best running back in college football. I don't care what anybody says. He's the most complete running back when you talk about the ability to run, to pass block, to catch the ball out of the backfield. The absolute complete package. And to me, the most complete package since the early 1980s. Now, I'm not going to put him with that guy, but he's the most complete running back that I can remember in a long time at Georgia. And you look at what's behind him. You talk about Keith Marshall. You talk about A.J. You talk about Douglas. And, of course, two studs coming in out of high school that both could have a big impact in Sony Michael and Nick Chubb. How excited are you about this running back spot? Man, I, I could not be any more excited about 100% healthy Todd Gurley. I mean, Brendan Douglas, come on, man. He's the fan favorite. Everybody, who doesn't love Brendan Douglas, man? I mean, as ever since the Florida game last year, uh, I think at least half the stadium has a crush on Brendan <laughs> Douglas, uh, guys and girls. A.J. Termas, a puff little fire plug, man, who can hammer the pile. Got pretty good hands. And that's, you know, like you said, man— we're so deep. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And the Nick Chubb, Sony Michael thing, man, I'm telling you, it's crazy. But Todd Gurley, number three. Oh, and I didn't even mention Keith Marshall, who is way ahead of schedule and looking really good as far as his health goes. Keith Marshall is a legitimate, real contributor. Still one and two, Gurley and Marshall. And then you got Terman and Douglas, and like I said, not even mentioning the, gr the great freshmen that are inbound. But... You know, I, I'm, 
I'm all about Todd Gurley for Heisman right now. I'm telling you, like you said, you can't talk enough about what the kid can do. He's huge. He's big. He's heavy. He hits the pile hard, but he's got all the gear he needs to turn the corner. He's got plenty of speed, great hands. He's an anchor at pass blocking, pass protection. He's the total package, absolutely total package. And I, I'm telling you, if Georgia, although I know we just don't do, we don't do Heisman campaigns, <laughs> but I'm telling you, that kid deserves a little high and hype. He really does. Now we we look at this, and and we got to kind of, you know, I know the Mark Rick detractors are there. I know there are the groups that hate him and the groups that go back and forth on him. And he received a lot of criticism for the running backs and the personality of the running backs over the last several years. When you talk about, I mean, it was basically went from running back you to thug you back there when you've got Caleb King with Sean Ely and Isaiah Crowell as your guys. But remember two finer human beings at that running back position in a long time than Keith Marshall and Todd Gurley. You just got to pull for those guys. There's just such good people. They really are. And like you said, ever since, I mean, from the end of the Sean era up to the Todd Gurley era was a pretty dark time for Georgia running backs, you know? And, uh, I mean, I don't even want to go into it. The thing with Washon Ely and Isaiah Crowell, I think, took years off my life. <laughs> but, like you said, Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall are just really good kids, man. Fantastic kids. And really... Going back to start off about the very beginning, if Trey Matthews needs to be hanging around Todd Gurley and Keith Marshall a little more if he wants to be more productive on the field for the Bulldogs because those two kids, Gurley and Marshall, they are not just the complete package on the field, but they've got that leadership ability, that locker room presence, and they really bring a lot to the dogs off the field as well. And you mentioned it, such great leaders. I remember last year a picture going across Twitter of Todd Gurley taking a cake to his offensive lineman, talking about how he loved his offensive lineman. You know, it's amazing to see a kid with that kind of talent so humble. And that kind of maturity, too, man. Yeah. I mean, you got you don't, don't forget, these are 19, 20-year-old kids, man. 20, 21-year-old kids. And Todd Gurley, is a, he's just a pro, man. I mean, you know, I mean, just a, not, not, you know, he's ahead of his time. The way he's thinking, the way he carries himself, the way he is, he's very uh, self-effacing. He's very humble. He knows where his bread is buttered, and he takes care of his people, and they take care of him. And I'm telling you, if he stays 100% healthy for the whole season, man, he's going to be a he's going to be a problem for defenses. He's going to be something for these Heisman voters to think about. And the the Bulldogs are going to be a tough team to handle with a healthy Gurley. Because even when he doesn't have the ball, even when he doesn't have the ball, yeah. if he's on the field, you have to account for him. Because if you don't, he's going to score. So he just brings a ton to Mike Bobo's offense in terms of capability and flexibility. Absolutely. Now, looking forward, you know, there are two kind of dogs that you fan bases are two kind of dog fans you typically have in the dog nation. That is what they call the Disney dogs and the doomsday dogs. And <laughs> yeah. I, I actually kind of like to put you kind of in between them. You can go a little Disney. You can go you can go a little doomsday as well. So you can put good balance there. If everybody's healthy this season, how optimistic are you? You know, if everybody stays healthy, man, I'm pretty optimistic. I, I got to tell you, I'm pretty optimistic. You know, the SEC East had kind of what would be traditionally called a down year last year. Um, 
South Carolina has got some important holes to fill over there. I I think, you know, I think we've talked about this before. If we can get by Clemson and South Carolina, um, I think Missouri is going to continue to be a tough nut to crack for us, man. But, uh, you know, they just had a significant suspension over there in Columbia, Missouri, and that's going <laughs> to help us a little bit. Um, you know, our schedule sets up pretty good with Tennessee being in Athens, so we don't have to worry about everybody getting murdered on that turf. Um, I got to tell you, I mean, I'm always pretty optimistic. I expect to win the national championship every year, but I really, really think the SEC championship game is absolutely on the table. I mean, I think we should definitely win the East. I mean, I think we're on the inside line to win the East. Um, between us and Missouri, I think right now is where that's going to shake down, and because uh, that Maddie Malt kid is pretty good for yeah, Missouri. Yeah. Um, so if we can get past Missouri, we can win the East, and then when we get to the Georgia Dome in December, dude, I mean, you know, with the, this year's the playoff, um, I mean, man, it's anybody's guess, but I, I think we're, I think we're in the conversation with the top six or seven best teams in the country. You know, looking at it, and of course, looking at the SEC, and we've had the most, I would say, as exclusive coverage here of spring practices as you can have. We've covered every team back and forward. We've had four or five guests for every team to come in, break down the depth charts. And I'm going to tell you, going into uh, going into that game, I really expect Georgia to beat Clemson. I, I think that Clemson thankfully has a lot of suspensions as well. They're replacing key positions, and I think Georgia's going to win that game I'm not going to say blow them out, but they're going to kind of win that game going away. I think they're going to win by 10 points or more. Then you get to South Carolina. Having that week before South Carolina, I think it's going to be huge this year because South Carolina has looked abysmal in their secondary right now. And if Hudson Mason and that wide receiver unit can expose that secondary, because they're going to be counting on a couple freshmen to probably, true freshmen to probably start in that secondary. If they can get past those two games like we talked about, you got Troy, that should be a win. If not, somebody's job needs to be on the line. Uh, you got Tennessee. Now, Tennessee has maybe, I mean, they're right there with wide receivers coming into this year. I mean, they're going to be amazing wide receiver, but they don't have anybody but Justin Worley to throw them the ball, and they're replacing their whole offensive and defensive line. So that should be a win. Vanderbilt should be a win. Missouri, like you said, is going to be good, but they're losing all of their wide receivers now. They're losing their running back. They've got a lot. That should be a win. Arkansas, then you got that Florida game, of course. Kentucky, Auburn, Charleston, Southern, Georgia Tech. Wow. I mean, that is a schedule, and I'm going to tell you, it's not just coming out of the East this time. Alabama, Jacob Coker better be everything they think he is coming out, or Alabama's going to be in some trouble when they face a real team next year. Well, you know, not to mention, I'm telling you, I've still just, I don't know, I think Jimmy Sexton worked some kind of deal with the devil or something, <laughs> man, but I'm telling you, I'm not impressed and have not. Uh, Lane Kiffin's going to have to prove something to me, man. Absolutely. And uh, I, I still cannot get my head around this Lane Kiffin hire. And coming out of the uh, Alabama spring game, I still haven't got my head around it. You can say what you want. The houndstooth heroes down there can talk all they want about how he's keeping it vanilla. But dude was keeping it vanilla for three seasons at Southern Cal as well. You know what I mean? I'm. I'm not. I agree. I think Auburn is the threat in the West, and uh, you know, and I mean, I don't know, man. I, I think the whole thing is setting up good for for Georgia and for Auburn right now, in the East and the West. Absolutely, and, and the only reason that I would pick Alabama, and I'm not picking Alabama right now, but the only reason I would even pick Alabama out of the West 
is because Auburn's got a much more difficult schedule. I mean, they pulled Georgia from this side, um, you know, and they got to go to Alabama. So I think Auburn's going to be the better team overall next year. But I think that uh, Alabama might get there. But with that said, going back to Lane Kiffin, and I don't want to digress too much, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think, first of all, he's the greatest interviewer in the history of college football. <laughs> the way this yeah. guy pulls jobs is amazing. And even this job, everybody points to Tennessee, and I'll give them credit. Uh, Jonathan Crumpton looked a lot better in one year under Lane Kiffin than he did any other time. But let's kind of look back at that year. They scored 63 against Western Kentucky. They scored 34 against Ohio. They scored, um, of course, they did have the 45 against Georgia. That was the most disastrous game I can remember in recent memory. I mean, that game was just. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to talk about that it if I can help it. And they did put 31 and 56 on South Carolina, Memphis, 31 on Vanderbilt, 30 on Kentucky. But when they the games they lost, they put 15 on UCLA. They put 13 on Florida. They put 22 on Auburn. Uh, they put 10 on Alabama. 17 on Ole Miss, 14 on West or on or excuse me Virginia Tech. That those numbers were inflated by bad competition. Those that improvement in Tennessee on the offensive end statistically was built upon the cupcakes that they played and a really bad Georgia game. No doubt, no doubt. I totally agree. And you know, I think what I think Butch Davis is. I mean, I like what he's doing yeah. up there. I guess at Tennessee, and but I, you know, they're not going to be. I just don't think they're quite going to be there this year. Um, Alabama, Lane Kiffin, he's going to have to prove it to me, buddy. He's going to have to prove it to me. Um, you know, in LSU, you know, I like LSU, and I, I have a lot of good friends who are LSU fans, but if I'm not mistaken, I think LSU's actually going to have be rotating some fans onto the field this year. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they're completely out of players down there. I think everyone left at the same time, so LSU's got depth issues as well. Um, it's a favorable setup for Georgia. But, uh, you know, the favorable setup and actual 12 games of execution are, uh, you know, has eluded us in the past. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm as always, Peter, <laughs> I'm cautiously optimistic, man. All right. We're talking to Derek Leonard of the Dollcast. I kept you way too long, and I apologize for that, kind of. But with that said, can you tell all of our listeners where they can go to hear the very best Georgia Bulldogs coverage? Man, you can check us out at www.dawgdogcast.com. I tell you, we are the original, the internet home of Georgia Bulldog Talk. Uh, during our eighth season as the oldest, the original, the biggest, the home of Georgia Bulldog Talk on the internet at dogcast.com. Absolutely. Can you give them that Twitter handle as well? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just at DogCast. I would love to have more followers. Man, I'm trying to catch up. Some of you Dr. SEC guys, <laughs> give me some love on Twitter, man, because Peter is killing it on Twitter. We are at DogCast on Twitter. Um, I put all kinds of stuff on Twitter. So uh, during the season, it's a, it's a lot of, you know, we just do a lot of funny stuff on Twitter. But uh, that's a good way to get episodes of our shows, both the Dr. SEC show and the DogCast, delivered straight to your phone. And uh, every Everybody, I would love to have more followers on Twitter. Okay, I can't let you go. I know you covered Georgia Bulldogs, but I cannot let you go with ask, without asking you this one question. It has to do with, of course, nobody else but Georgia Tech. What was your impression of that amazing crowd they had <laughs> show up? Are they ready to come back to National Powerhouse judging by that crowd at the spring I, game? I got to be honest with you, man. I'll be perfectly honest with you. 
not until I had heard about it, I saw the footage, I saw what they said on the the Sting Talk boards, um, you know, about how they were so proud of the fact that they had 2,000 people show up at cold, rainy game. But I had not seen a photo of that stadium during that game until right before we went on the air for this show. And I'm telling you, kids, if you've not seen a picture of historic Bobby Dodd Grant North Avenue Varsity Stadium during the spring game at Georgia Tech this year, you owe it to yourself to search for that image because it is awesome. They had 13 fumbles in the game, which – uh, as my buddy uh, Mark Weiser said, I think was one for every person in attendance at a game, you know? <laughs> that picture of that fan, you know, they're giving away movies, they're giving away pizza. I don't think Georgia Tech football is ready to return to the big time just yet, Peter. Um, they are still just a wee bit away from the bigs. You know, the 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 rumored attendance, and when you look at the picture, it's hard to doubt it. I, I don't Listen, the player, if one parent from each player would have showed up. I mean, oh, they, they had, you know, they're saying about 117 was the actual number. If you could, I mean, even the parents don't want to show up and watch you play spring football. It's pretty bad, isn't it? I love it. And I tell you, Peter, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Paul Johnson is just humanitarian of the year. Watching his slow Chinese water torture death down there is just just warms my heart. It just warms my heart. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Uh, I've always thought he was a bit of a turd. I'll just be honest. And it was <laughs> it was so fun watching. Uh, I covered the Music City Bowl, and it was so fun watching him sitting in that press press room, so uncomfortable after just losing another game. It really was the highlight of my bowl season. And I went yeah. to a lot of games to cover this year. That had to be the highlight watching him just kind of sit there so uncomfortable. Oh, it's never his fault. Never his fault. If they would just do what he says, they would be undefeated every year. Absolutely. I tell you what, I, I love it. I love it. Couldn't happen to a nicer institution, nicer bunch of kids. Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech were made for each other, and I hope that Paul Johnson stays there for another 20 years, much like Will Muschamp, hoping Absolutely. he stays down there in Gainesville <laughs> uh, in the armpit of Florida for another 20 years as well. Absolutely. Well, listen, Derek, we appreciate so much you taking some time and being with us. Can't wait to get you back on again. Once again, we want to encourage all of our listeners, go over to thedogcast.com. And as I always say, you don't have to be a Georgia fan to enjoy it. He's just one half of this wonderful couple, which is also, also Old Dog. And if you want to hear... Uh, if you want to hear the very best of the odd couple, head on over to thedogcast.com. Follow them on Twitter at thedogcast. And once again, Derek, it's always a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. So there it is, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, let Give me some feedback on our phone line or on the email. You can email us at dogcast at gmail.com. You could call us at 706-363-0210. I'm anxious to hear what you guys think about these Dr. SEC episodes. If you want me to keep doing it, if you think it's stupid or whatever, you know, I mean, I'm not getting rid of old dog or anything like that. We're not going away from our core mission of by fans for fans. But sometimes, you know, when old dog's not available or we can't get our schedule together in the studio, this guy, uh, uh, Dr. SEC, is pretty handy, and uh, I don't think it's a bad show. So uh, just a thought. I'd like to hear what you guys think. So follow us on Twitter at DogCast. Uh, you've got the number. you got the email. you got the website, 
dogcast.com. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll be back. If there's something happens, we'll do a show. If not, we'll be here throughout. We'll be here over the summer, and then uh, it's fall. So, go dogs. <laughs>